0: We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening.
1: You know, I was coming out here yesterday, right into this room, right in this position, and I was wearing this mask. And uh, I was doing a sound check before the first gathering of the weekend began and and I said it sounds sort of muffled. <laughs> it's not sounding right. And they said, "Well, Pastor Keith, you you know it would help if you took the mask off." <laughs> We're in a series right now that that we can do certain things with or without a mask. Some things like public speaking through uh, uh, a microphone to you work better without a mask. But we have seen that there are you know You can get perspective whether COVID's going on or not. You can feed your soul. Uh, You can upright your down feelings. We've been seeing that with or without a mask, uh, with whether COVID's going on or not, COVID cannot stop us from doing certain things. And you know, the longer COVID goes on, the more grateful I am for Pastor Jonathan's leadership with our staff and getting us into a place where we were already digital before COVID came along. You know, it was just like uh, the Lord's provision for us so that we didn't miss a beat. Ministry could just go on and the team has just come together and made improvements. Week after week. And so, uh just when I was hearing Pastor Jonathan uh, teach last weekend, I could just feel the burden that, you know, over 40 years for me as lead pastor, I know the burden, and I could just feel it on him, and may the Lord just keep praying for him, the Lord would strengthen him now, and guide him into the post-COVID ministry days in our city, and, uh, you know, we can do that with or without a mask, right? We can be praying for our leaders, and uh, now what else can COVID not stop us from doing, you know? Uh, can COVID stop us from not being happy? How many have noticed that the first question that gets asked when you hear about someone uh, having gone through an, a life event, a big change? You know, let's say they moved somewhere. Maybe they moved to Pickering. Oh, how's it going? Are you happy out there? You know, or or they they got a new job. You, you know, you get talking to them. Hey, are you happy with the new job? Or they get married. You know, is she happy? Is he happy being married? Um, retirement can come along. People say, are you happy in your retirement? You know, why is happy the measuring stick that we use? You know, it goes all the way back to Aristotle before Jesus even. He said, happiness is the highest good and Western civilization has just just been immersed in that philosophy right into the US Constitution where it's the pursuit of happiness. But here's the thing, happiness will only get you so far. Um, if you live your life with the purpose of being happy, I can promise you, you will not end up being happy because happiness has its limitations. Let's just look at four of them, all right? Happiness is high maintenance. How many have children that have been Home from school at some times during this last year of COVID, and you found that it's impossible to keep them happy. We can't keep ourselves happy all of the time. It's high maintenance, and then it also vanishes quickly. Um, I love the way one researcher said it. They said, Happiness is not an attainable constant. You know, it just vanishes so quickly. Here's a list of things that can just. Change our happiness into unhappiness. When a person lets us down, well, yeah. A change in our financial picture. A serious health issue, understandable. Um, Disappointment when a plan that we have falls through. And even a change in weather, they said. You just make, And then how many have noticed this, that sometimes you arrive at a point where you've achieved what you've been striving for and you get there and you enjoy it for a few days and then you realize, but I'm still not happy. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. So it vanishes quickly. It's high maintenance. And then third, it's dependent. Happiness is dependent on circumstances and people. Here's the way another person said it. They said, happiness depends on happenings. And so if people and circumstances are what I'm relying on to keep me happy, then people are going to let me down. Circumstances, I'm going to have trials, you know, and troubles and tests and tribulation. So if I'm relying on them to keep me happy, it's just really not going to work out. It sort of turns out, doesn't it? That if you learn that Sunday school course as a child like I did, you know, I'm in right up, right up, right down, right happy all the time. Turns out it ain't true after all, all right? It's and not only that, but happiness is unfairly distributed at birth. Why is it? I've heard from so many parents. Why is it one child right from infancy seems happy and the other one seems cranky, <laughs> complaining, Critical, cantankerous? Why is it? It reminded me of a story of this mom who had uh, two boys. One could not be more happy. Everything that happened, even if stuff went wrong, he just was happy. Always find the bright side to it. The other boy that she had was so negative, critical, complaining. It just, nothing would make him happy. And it was just, you know, these two extremes were just causing her a lot of stress, so she went for counseling, and the counselor said, I'll tell you what to do. The boy that's unhappy, put him in a room filled with every kind of toy imaginable. Put him in with all kinds of toys, and then the one that's just chronic, happy, put him in a room with horse manure, all right, with a shovel, but just put him in there, and And she she thought, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. But then she got desperate. And so she bought all the toys. She put the unhappy boy in the room with all the toys. And, you know, the other the the happy child in the room with the horse manure. And and she, she waited an hour. And then she went to check on them. She peeked in the door of the unhappy child with the toys. And she just saw him throwing the toys around. He looked up at her when he heard the door open. He said, nothing in here but a bunch of stupid toys. And he was just so still unhappy. And then she went to the door where the uh, happy kid was, opened up the door and he heard the doorum. He looked up his mummy with a big smile and he says, "You can't fool me, Mum." He says, "Where there's manure, there's got to be a pony. There's a pony in here somewhere." <laughs> Why is it that some are just born so uh, chronically happy and some are chronically unhappy? You know my mum, I think she's watching from the Langley, Vancouver area right now with the time change, the later service. She used to say to me, uh, she She say, Keith, when you were a little boy, little baby, she says, you were so happy. Sometimes we wondered if there was something wrong with you. I think she still thinks there's something wrong with me. But Jesus is so clear that what God has for us is so much better, deeper, stronger, and more long-lasting than ever any happiness in this life. Watch this. Happiness has its four limitations. Jesus has for us what he calls joy. Look at the advantages of joy. We saw the happiness is high maintenance. Watch this. Joy is unlimitedly sustainable. Jesus said, no one will take away your joy, the joy that I give you. Uh, Happiness vanishes quickly. Joy is constantly available, even when we're unhappy. We're going to see that. All right. Happiness is dependent on circumstances and people. No. Joy, we're going to see it, is Jesus dependent. All right. Everything has to end with a today. All right. So we depend on Jesus. Happiness is unfairly distributed at birth, but when you're born again, Jesus comes into your life. His joy is equally accessible to everyone that is born again. So I want to talk to you uh, these COVID days about experiencing joy when no one is making you laugh. And I can hear some people, I can't see you, <laughs> but I can hear what's going on in the heads of some people. You're thinking, oh, Pastor Keith, come on. I mean, here we are just struggling, trying to be happy, and you want you're want to talk to us about having joy? It's because sometimes we think that joy is just happiness amped up. Joy is happiness on steroids, you know? No, no, not at all. They are so different one from the other. You know, I, um, I uh, was getting ready to teach you this weekend, and I had a great Early morning in the study, working on the computer, putting my notes there, notes for the community groups, uh, for the outline, all there. My computer crashed, lost all my hours of work. It was not a good morning. And then Esther, my wife, called out and said, the water has stopped running, no more water pressure, no more water. Um, And then a guy that was delivering uh, some books He got stuck out front. Could you come and help push him out? I'm supposed to be in a meeting. The phone's ringing. I just had one of the... Come on, you've had those mornings too. Maybe more than you've wanted to have during COVID even. And and, and listen, when I went up to my study, guess what was where I'd left off and where it was frozen on my computer screen? These words. Here's a picture of my computer screen. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. After a morning like that, what's that supposed to mean? You know, you want to just slap the computer. What are you talking about? The joy. Don't be sad and dejected. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So I got thinking, if we are going to be realistic about having joy during these COVID days, we're going to have to find someone in the Bible Who qualifies, all right? Here's what would qualify them. First of all, they've got to be physically confined, right? Restricted. You know, they're in lockdown, okay? Emotionally isolated from friends and family, people that they love, mentally uncertain. How many of you, uh, I mean, your whole plans for the future have been altered or turned upside down? by the realities of COVID, you know, uh, so this person has to have an uncertain financial, uncertain uh, health future. And then spiritually, if they're going to experience the kind of joy we've seen described in the Bible and by Jesus, it's going to have to be that they are experiencing... Watch this, an unlimitedly sustainable, constantly available, Jesus-dependent-able, equally accessible joy. Now, do you think there's anyone in the Bible other than Jesus that qualifies for this? Because if we say Jesus, well, everyone say, oh yeah, but that's Jesus. Well, is there any just Christian in the Bible that qualifies? And I found one, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was in a physical confinement. He's in a prison cell in Rome. He's been there two years. Four times, he writes. Four times, he writes. He says, I am in chains. He writes to the Christians in Philippi, Greece. He says, I'm in chains. So, I mean, he's not in denial here. When he experiences joy, he's physically confined. Emotionally, he writes. He's again. He's just so realistic. He misses Timothy and Titus and bring John Mark and he. He's you read his letters. I mean, he's missing people. He's missing his books. He's even missing his coat. <laughs> so I mean, he's he's in isolation mentally. Talk about an uncertain future. Nero, who was emperor, was killing off Christians because he was blaming them for everything that went wrong in the Roman Empire during that time in history. And Paul didn't know whether he'd be alive next week. That's why he writes in Philippians, he says, Whether I live or die, you know? Really? He's having joy not knowing about whether he's going to live or die next week, his uncertain future. And then spiritually, here's what you see him have. He's experiencing this unlimitedly sustainable, constantly available, Jesus-dependentable, universally equally accessible joy. That's what he is experiencing. Is Paul happy? I don't think so. I don't think there's a lot making him happy, but I do know this. He has joy. He writes about it Matter of fact, the letter to the Christians in Philippi, that's the main topic joy. He writes others from the same place of confinement and isolation with an uncertain future. And you know what he says about joy? He says, I'm going to show you how to find it, lose it, choose it, and use it. How do you find joy? Now, we've heard this, it almost becomes a cliche. Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. So the Lord is the source of whatever joy that Paul has because he's experiencing it and he's telling others listen, this is what I learned to do, and I can instruct you. This is how you have joy in the midst of COVID like conditions. Rejoice in the Lord. We'll, we'll, this will become more clear how this works throughout the teaching today, but basically, Paul is saying that Jesus is the exclusive supplier of the unlimitedly sustainable, constantly available, universally available, COVID-proof joy. He is the only place where you're going to get that kind of joy. And it's independent. See, he's saying, "What's this. He's saying, I have more joy in this place of confinement, restriction, and isolation with an uncertain future than I would have if I was, you know... Sipping espresso up the road at the Colosseum at some Italian cafe. Because one's happiness, but he, he's got something something bigger and deeper. Uh, something less trivial than happiness. He's got something less fickle. He's got something substantial. He has joy. Uh, the key is the source of joy. You know, watch this. People, if people are, you try and make them the source of your joy, they don't have what it takes People can add to your joy, but they don't have what it takes to be your source of joy. Now, you see this with Paul, all right? He writes in this letter about joy, but he says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. So his source is in the Lord, but then he says that at last you renewed your concern for me. What happened is they, you can read about it in the letter, they'd sent some financial support for Paul and he so appreciated it. But his rejoicing is in the Lord. See, people can add to your joy, but they don't have what it takes to be the source of your joy. Circumstances are exactly the same. He, Paul gets these gifts that's a change in his circumstances. Circumstances can amplify your joy, but they don't have what it takes to be your source of joy. Your joy is in the Lord. All right? That's all we're trying to establish here is he is our source. Listen, how many of you, I know a lot of you, hundreds of you over the years Have gone with our church on a team to help people in another country, often a poor country. And we've done, you know, medical help and orphanage help, and we've built stuff, and we've uh, taught leaders and children. I mean, we've just done so many things. And if there are two things that I had to narrow it down to that I hear back most commonly from people that return back to Canada, it's this. Number one, I went to give (laughs) to these people. I feel like I've been given so much more. I went to help. I just think they gave me a whole new perspective on life, the joy that I have because I gave, and I went and helped other people in need. And then secondly, I hear this. I remember Eli Hugh Clark, one of our elders, was on a trip, and he came back, and he said, as so many have said to me, you know, they have such little of what material things that we look to for happiness. They don't even have them, and yet they have such joy. I remember someone else said, we gathered on the weekend, and they had such little in their church even, available to them, and yet they had such joy in Jesus because the source of joy is Jesus. All you have to do is have Jesus in your life in order to have joy, all right? So, but you can lose it you say can a christian lose their joy oh yeah let me give you three examples they can get ocd what's that that's obsessive comparison disorder that's when watch this now i had to write it down it's that it's the common condition where you find what you think of yourself by thinking about what you think others think of you, you know, you go on social media and you say, "Oh, look at them, look at that what they have, and you compare yourself and you put yourself down and you know look at look at how thin she is, look at the pipes on that guy, <laughs> look at the job they have, look at the success that they're parading, you know and we, and we just compare ourselves. Uh, I never forget this um, speaker that we had in Edmonton when I was pastoring there, and she said that She said, we wouldn't worry so much what people think of us if we knew how infrequently they did. (laughs) Uh, Listen, I want to tell you about the cure for OCD, and that is what God thinks of you. The psalmist David said, God, you're always thinking about me. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the sands, the sand on the seashore. Just billions of thoughts towards me, your love towards me. That's the cure for OCD, and that's what gives you joy. All right, you can lose your joy also by replacing grace with self-anything. Self-promotion, self-exaltation, self-made beliefs, coming up with your own religion, picking and choosing what you want to believe, self-striving. Paul writes to a church, and they're doing a lot of this kind of thing. And, and And they they were once walking with Jesus and thankful for the grace of God, but now they're turning their faith in Jesus into a religion, and they're adding a whole bunch of stuff from past religion. and Paul says, "Who cut in on you? You were doing so well." Where is your joy? You will find one of the quickest indications that a, that, that a, a Christian is, is making it more about them than about the grace of Jesus Christ when, when they lose their joy. I remember one of our global workers told me that in Uganda, that if a a Christian met another Christian and they were sad and despondent, they would often ask them this question, have you been to the cross yet today? (laughs) Have you been to the cross yet today? See, it's at the cross we realize, oh, my self-striving, my religious works, they're, they're nothing in comparison to what you did for me. You see, religion is what we do Faith in Jesus is what he has done for us, the grace. Oh, listen, whatever you are and whatever you have become, how many know it's all attributable to the grace of God in your life? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. And that brings us to the third one. We can lose our joy when we have a case of being infected with the ingratitude virus. You know, you ever met someone like that? They've got a vaccination all right. They look like you've been vaccinated with, with lemon juice. You know, just they're so sour and negative, uh, critical about everything. Uh, nothing will kill joy quicker than ingratitude. But watch this, there's a, there's a silver lining there because nothing will get us out of a place of non-joy quicker than just climbing up the ladder of gratitude. Gratitudes a critical, essential, necessary part of my day, my prayer life, to, to pray, pray. That's why praise is so powerful. You know, watch this now. Happiness is so different from joy. Watch this. Happiness reacts. Joy transcends. And thanksgiving is what gets us. that place of joy. That's why cathedral is going to be so important this evening. Six o'clock, join us. Because I I looked at the outline, there's a part of it tonight where we're going to just be led into a time of thanksgiving and it's going to to bring us to a place of joy. You know, I I, I had uh, this happen to me uh, two times where someone called me up and said, hey, Keith, how are you doing? Both cases, it was a fellow minister, another pastor. Uh, hey, Keith, how are you doing? I said, oh, I have so much to be thankful for. Because that's just, it is a standard answer. I, and, they, and, they, and one guy said, you always say that. The other one said, I knew you were going to say that. Why? Because you always say that. that. I said, that's because whatever's going wrong in my life or the church or people I love, I still have lots to be thankful for. See, gratitude is the way that we, uh, we choose to have joy. All right? So we've seen we, we can find it, we can lose it. Now we're going to say we can choose it. We can choose it. Rejoice in the Lord. That's a choice that I make, whether I'm going to rejoice in the Lord or not. I don't think anyone was more straight up in the Bible about having joy as a choice than James, all right? Look at this. He says, consider it pure joy. So here's your outlook, all right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do you remember the first time you read that? Like, what's up with that? How can you have joy facing a trial? Like, who wants to be, like gag me with a spoon. You know, like who wants to face something like that and have, how can you have joy? Because he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you look at the outcome. Of what this trial is going to produce. And you say that's going to determine my outlook. That's why I can consider a trial pure joy. Listen. How many understand that whatever you're going through right now. Is just that. Whatever you're going through right now. But if you persevere. If you trust the Lord through it. And you thank him through it. And you you allow him to be at work in your life. He's going to get you to a better place. He's going to bring you to. A wonderful outcome. I love the way Pastor Timothy Keller from New York said it. He said, in the end, God will use even evil to do the opposite of what it was intended to do. So you know the outcome, so therefore you have this outlook. You know, we're taught, outlook determines the outcome. Attitude determines altitude. But it's also true that we can have an outlook... But that determines the outcome. That's all true. But we can also say, you know, the outcome is going to determine my outlook. Because God's at work. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about perspective in this series? This is exactly what Jesus did. He let the outcome determine his outlook. Watch. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do what he did. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. Okay, he was seeing it already he, when he went and endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He knew the outcome. He let the outcome determine his outlook. Oh, that, that, is, that is something powerful that we can do in our lives too. And now, what about you? What about the outcome determining your outlook? How many can say, during COVID, in my physically confining, emotional, isolation with an uncertain future these COVID days, I choose joy because the outcome determines my outlook. Choose it. And then use it. How did the Apostle Paul write some of our favorite verses. Matter of fact, when you, when you go into your community groups this week, I've given you some of the favorite verses for us as Christians. You know, he who began a good work is going to carry it through to completion. Just the peace of God that passes all understanding. These were all written from Paul in the Roman jail cell to the Christians in Philippi. We have them from the book of Philippians. He, he, he's got such joy. How did he do it? Because he's bringing joy to other people. He can't keep it from himself. That's how... The joy of the Lord is his strength. And he says that. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, uh, yesterday I woke up and I just found myself counting out the months to when I would be 64 and a half because that's how old my father was when he went to be with the Lord. Now, some of you have heard me talk about my father before and um, my dad, he told me I was his best friend. We built stuff together. We traveled together, canoe trips together. Uh, we were we loving in the outdoors together. We just, there was a chemistry there. But he, he was a man of God. After giving his life to the Lord in his late teens, he was transformed by Jesus. He loved the Lord so much, lived for him. Matter of fact, even though he had a very uh, responsible, uh, rewarding position in the Royal Canadian Mount of Police, uh, place of overseeing a lot of people, he he went into early retirement from the RCMP so that he could go with my mom and help people out, global workers, you know, go and help you. And he paid his own way and mom's way. He just went and and uh well then when he was sixty three, diagnosed with cancer, three surgeries later, he's getting ready to go be with the Lord. And um the deacons in Ottawa, where I was pastoring, that I just said, you get out there and, be, and just stay with your dad during these these days. I'll, I'll never stop being thankful for their, their kindness and generosity. And I was, um, you know, taking my shift. My mother would take her shift. My sisters would take their shift. And one morning I was... Uh, Waking up, I slept on the floor beside his hospital bed in Langley, British Columbia, and he had all of these tubes in him, you know, and uh, and I just see how he, when he people would come to visit, how he would just bring such joy to them. <laughs> And then he's you know under morphine and he's got uh, not able to eat and it's just so how can you have joy? And so I asked him one day. I said, Dad, I'm a pastor. I teach people this stuff all the time about how you can have trial and you can have joy. And I teach him, but Dad, how are you doing it? And I didn't know whether he would answer me because sometimes he would, you know, fall asleep <laughs> or not hear what I was saying. But he, he did hear me. And he says, well, Keith, he said, when you face a trial, he says, I've learned that you just, you love them and you praise them and you trust them. And I thought, well, come on. I know that already. I've been telling people that for years. And then he continues, he said, but Keith, he says, but then, he said, then there'll be another trial. Well, thanks for the good news, Dad but he said, you know what you do? You love him and you praise him and you trust him through that one. And he says, and then you know what, Keith, then you'll be hit with another one. But you know what you do? I think I'm hearing it, dad. I think I see a pattern here. You love him, you praise him and you trust him through that one. And I thought thought he just sort of fallen asleep. And I, I, I he was turning over and I positioned him and I thought he'd fallen back asleep. And then I I hear from the other side of the bed, the voice say, and then you know what, Keith? (laughs) There'll be another one, another trial. But you know what you do, Keith? You love him and you praise him and you trust him through that one. I think of that every time I go through it. I think I can't bear anymore. Sometimes I just think, well, Lord, I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I praise you. I thank you for the good that I do have. And I'm going to trust you with the outcome of this one, you know. The joy of the Lord can really, genuinely, authentically just like it was for the apostle Paul and my dad, it can be your strength even when you have nothing to be happy about. Oh, how many are ready to just take what you're going through right now and just rejoice in the Lord, to choose to rejoice in him. Lord, we do that right now. We do that now and may it continue this week. May it uh, spill over into cathedral tonight. May that just reinforce it and uh, solidify it in our Christian experience, Lord, we pray as we gather together this evening. But right now, we choose to make you our source. We're not going to look at ourselves or circumstances or other people to be to us what you alone can be. We were made for you. In you we live and move and have our being, Lord. We rejoice in the God of our salvation. We rejoice in Jesus. What he's doing in our lives and what he's going to bring us into when we go to be with him. We have so much to rejoice in when we rejoice in you, Lord. So strengthen your people as they rejoice in you. I pray this for each one of them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Love you.